Hello and welcome ladies and gentlemen to episode 69 of the Uncovered podcast. I'm Bairam Kazi, you can find at @defmango on Twitter and with me is Jared Kimber, who you can find absolutely everywhere. And yeah, Jared, I mean, I don't think like I've I've been doing Uncovered with you for a while and I don't think I've ever been as pumped or excited for one prior to this one because just so much has happened. What a week of test cricket we've had. What a final day we've had in both those test matches. The West Indies defeating Australia in a test match after 21 years and you know that too in a venue like the Gabba which is supposed to be an Australian mm. fortress only India have defeated them in however many decades over there and they won a test match in Australia after 27 years with like four debutants and the squad had like seven uncapped players and at the same time in Hyderabad England and India they were playing their first five test matches and uh, India had a lead of 190 at the halfway point after two innings and from there England went on to win it by 28 runs so it's been a great advert for the sport and i mean nothing gets my juices flowing the way test cricket or dramatic test cricket does certainly want your juices flowing <laughs> i don't want you being dry so uh that's a good start uh look it was sensational i was commentating on talk sport and still had the Australia um West Indies game on the iPad in front of us with the with the mm. main screen behind us it was me and Darren Goff in a in a studio in London <laughs> <laughs> watching all this and it, you know you just couldn't take your eyes off either mm. of them right like from from a long way out they were just really really exciting and um look I, i think i think we have to understand that if we don't celebrate moments like this in test cricket then it kind of might as well mm. be dead Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like like forget the financial part of it which you and I have talked about before and all that's on the organizational structure. But just from a pure moment, like if you can't say I can't believe these two test matches happened at the same <laughs> time and they have all these different stories and narratives and I mean you can go on for days about the West Indies mm. stuff. I mean no one's really talked all that much about Jack Leach's mm. leg. I don't know if you saw the footage of that leg that I mean It looked like he had WG Grace's leg oh. attached to his hip, right? Like it, it was ridiculous how much that damn thing swollen. And I and I get, you know, um, swollen, you know, knee joints myself. I don't know what the hell was going on with him. That that looked bizarre. Um, you know, like and there were heaps of great stories like that. You know, the further you drill down and in, into all these different players and you know and what was happening. You know, there's the mm. Gabba side of Australia losing. There's also little things like now, like India keep losing first mm. tests at home. Um, you know they they lose four they've what they've lost four games in the last 10 years at home but three of them have been first tests something like that <laughs> is, is that a pattern um you know um from a personal point of view i think i talked about Kevin mm. Hodge um you know being involved in this test series and uh i you know when when a player does well i never message mm. them and the reason is because everyone messages mm. them when when they do well but he's the sort of person in a couple of days i'd love to just like have a five minute chat with him and just be like just take me through what that was like and uh, you know he had the moment too i don't think this has been mentioned did you see the one where he starts helping out the woman with the baby that one i haven't but i've seen the one in which he cops uh, one in the family jewels <laughs> he, well did he cop one in the family jewels or was he he was the one who thrust his groin Basically, at the ball twice purpose, right i saw that twice <laughs> i'm pretty sure his family jewels attacked the ball <laughs> if we i don't know what the legal definition is here Um uh, no so I mean that's what I mean there were just so many little stories and stuff like even the Bumrah poke yeah. thing like by the end of that day no one was talking about it but that was a bizarre moment where Bumrah is just like 
I'm just going to stand up. Like, that's Roboto. Get up, like, a four-match ban for that, mm. right? Like, it, it, the whole thing was just so weird. Um, and there were so many great little stories. And I think that's what... Test cricket usually has the great little mm. stories, right? I think that's what it's probably at its best for. And then very rarely we get the grand narrative. To get the grand narrative in two mm. places at the same time. I mean, what England did is... It is one of the greatest comebacks in a test match mm. we've ever seen. Forget statistically, although it is statistically yeah. as well. But to... To come, that that is like being two hundred runs behind against Australia or West Indies in their heyday mm. and coming back. Right, I'm not comparing India to Australia and West Indies as overall talent, but when you look at their record at home, it's almost identical to what Australia's record was at home between '95 and '05. Mm. Right, um, you know, to be able to come back against that team is just absolutely remarkable. And then the West Indies, you know, um, it's just not. I, I mean, you and I both saw Australia probably what in they played three tests against yes. Pakistan, was it? Yeah, yeah. So there were several times in that Pakistan series where we probably felt that Pakistan had mm -hmm. a good chance and then it would fall apart. Even the first test against the West Indies, again, it's not the Australian mm -hmm. team, right? Uh, but they did just win a World Test That's Championship. True. They are playing at the Gabba, mm -hmm. right? Like. And they are playing against, you know, Kevin hmm. Hodge and Sinclair and, you know, some kid they found in a sawmill in Guyana, right? Like, it's remarkable uh, all these things happen. So it was a fantastic day of, of Test cricket. I, I loved every moment yeah, of it. Yeah, so many narratives. The, the good luck to us on time for this one because there's just so many stories to talk about. You're yeah. right. Remember, it's two yeah, podcasts that's now. That's true. So... We're yeah. okay, but you're right. The, like whichever test we start with is going to be it's going to yeah. be a lot. We've got Sheraton, KD, and Muki in the comment section. So hello to you guys as well. And just like Jared mentioned, you know, uh, you get these days so rarely in cricket all over that you'd really need to cherish them because Test cricket is skewed as is, and here you got two upsets, you could say. And who doesn't like to root for an underdog, right? It's always a great story. We'll Ooh. start off with India versus England. And uh, Ollie Pope, Jared, is someone who we've extensively discussed, I think, both on and off camera of how he has a really poor game versus spin. He had an abysmal record mm. in India as well prior to this 196. And I love how he just changed his approach altogether, right? He swept and he reverse swept and he scooped and he dill scooped and he just basically chanced his arm and it paid off big time. And he, I mean, he rode his luck. Sure, he got dropped twice mm. and that Akshar won will sting India. I, I think I think the first drop was when he was already past 100, yeah. though. I mean, I know it had a big impact mm. on the game, but yeah. he'd already made basically. 100, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but basically, it was uh, risky cricket. But then he's gone on to say mm. that in these sort of conditions, reverse sweeps are as safe as uh, forward defence. And when I think of great knocks uh, by Senna batters in English conditions, at least when I look at the last decade, I think of KP's 186 in Mumbai. I think of uh, Smudger's... Uh, you know, done in that on that minefield in Pune. Where yeah. does this rank for you? It's interesting. I suppose you know, I was I was at Smith's one. He got dropped a lot early mm. on. I, I think he got dropped three times in that innings. And I remember talking to an Australian cricketer about that. Who I can't remember if he was on that mm. tour or not. But there was. A, a, I remember talking to him, and he said, "Look, I don't know if you can't get dropped on that kind of wicket. That was a real, you know, minefield. That that wicket. Steve O'Keefe obviously took yeah. all those wickets. The KP one had an." element of brutality in it right like it probably doesn't look that brutal looking back with basketball mm -hmm. eyes but at the time i think we all went what he did what um i also saw kp play an incredible innings in colombo mm. um where 
I think later he talked about, he said he was so tired he had to attack. Um, and so, so I, I think that, I think I'm remembering that one right as well. And, you know, you probably go back to some of, well, some of Ricky Ponting's mm. innings, which when he wasn't in India, because he was fantastic in the rest I of the I think Haydos um, also scored a really magnificent ton in uh, India back in the day. Can't quite recall. Yeah. 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 Well, his whole, mm. that whole series. And obviously Andy Flowers, mm. another guy you would throw in um, there. So, you know, there's been some fantastic ones. I think the the thing that sets Popes apart is probably the impact it had mm -hmm. on the game and where the team was when he came out to bat. So India had been smacked around the face a little bit by Duckett and Crawley early on. That doesn't really justify what Pope mm -hmm. did afterwards. Um, the you know to come back from where he was and also let just go through some of the names we're talking about before you know before drs kp was a fantastic player of spin obviously <laughs> he struggled a little bit after that um steve smith still a fantastic player of of, of spin you know annie flower obviously matt hayden you know a lot of these guys you know big reputation ollie pope has none yeah. of that ollie right? pope hadn't and, even played in the last seven months right he was injured and we expected him to fail over here and yet he's the headline and he was terrible hmm. in the first innings, right? So there's this thing about, I think a lot of, a lot of baseball success comes from the fact that teams were unable to plan for it, hmm. right? And if you have a look, in the last eight tests, I think they've won four, four out of eight hmm. now. And so teams have started to work out a little bit more of, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And, and it's exactly the same with Oli Pope. India thought, well, we know what Oli Pope's going to do. He likes to play back. We can bowl a little bit fuller. And when he comes forward, he's usually tentative because he wants to be on the back foot. Doesn't always get fully forward. That's how he nicks the first innings, hmm. right? Ends up getting caught at slip. They had a complete plan of how to bowl to that Oli Pope. This <laughs> Oli Pope, they had no plans for. They didn't understand it. And it, it, do you know much about the rumble in the jungle? No, I do not. Uh, fight? I know it's uh, Muhammad Ali, so when but I don't know much else about it. Yeah. So uh, Muhammad Ali versus the guy that invented the George Foreman grill. Actually, I don't think he invented it. I think he just put his name on it, but I could be wrong. Um, maybe he did invent it. I don't know. Anyway, I've, got, I've gone down a rabbit hole here. <laughs> uh, one of the most famous boxing um, uh, fights of all time. Muhammad Ali, peak Muhammad Ali, would have taken on um, uh, George Foreman normally, right? But by this stage, Muhammad Ali is just starting to slow down a little bit. He, you know, he was obviously out of the box, you know, boxing for a little while. And he's a different boxer than he was when he was young. So he decides to um, do something that boxers almost never do, which is lead with his right hand, not mm. his left. So most boxers lead with their left and they jab and then they hit you with the big right, if, if they're right-handers, obviously. And he's just like, no, I'm going to just lead with his right because George Foreman is an incredible athlete and he's big and huge. No one ever has led with their right hand against George Foreman because they're terrified <laughs> that he will end their life. And so you look at the first couple of rounds, of, uh, I think it might just be the first round or round and a half that he tries it, and he's trying to knock him out. But also, you can see George Foreman being like, I, I don't understand what mm. to do. He's, this is not how people box against me. And then Muhammad Ali, after that, goes to this other thing of literally tackling Foreman as much as possible and um, staying as close as possible. Again, no one wanted to stay close to George mm. Foreman. The whole idea was to stay as far away from him as possible. And that's what everyone thought Muhammad Ali was going to do. They thought he was going to dance around him. He does the exact opposite. Foreman had no plans for either of these two things, right? Because they are not normal tactics hmm. right and you look at th they knew that duckett was going to reverse right uh they probably knew more or less what crawley was going to try 
first innings, they were like, okay, well, Pope's just doing the same thing, so we'll be absolutely fine. And then Pope comes out and he just like throws it all out there. And he, let's be really clear about this. He played 23 reverse mm. sweeps, played about five good ones, <laughs> right? He played a lot of shit reverse sweeps, right? He was, you know, sometimes the ball was kind of bouncing around. He had no idea he, he would reverse to the wrong ball. He got hit a couple of times. He mishit and, you know, edged and off his gloves and all sorts of things. He played a, a, bunch, a couple of really good ones as well. But the reason he's not very good at it, Bayram, is because it's not really a shot that he plays a lot. And it's usually a shot he plays from a position of yeah. comfort, right? He, he, he would pick and choose when to use it. This particular case is just like, no, 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 no. I'm just going to hmm. play it randomly and I'm going to play as many as I can, like, like, Muhammad Ali's uh, right-hand lead. I'm just going to do it to put them off. Then later on, he adds other things as well. Like we're talking about the reverse sweeps because he played a lot of them. He played two dual mm. scoops, right? And I think there's a Lizzie Ammon tweet from like 2016 where Ollie Pope plays a, a dual scoop against a spinner. We haven't really seen much of it between, uh, I think it was Ollie Pope who did yeah, it. Or was yeah. it, it, it was Ollie Pope who did it. I saw this uh, Wisden article which spoke about this. Yeah. So... This is a shot that I haven't seen him play. I don't remember him playing that, that one back then. And, and so again, you look at the fact that, and it's brilliant tactic. The minute he played it, I think I was on commentary at the time and I said, well, that's genius because what he's doing is, and I've never thought about doing this before, although I have actually tried to deal scoop off a spinner. <laughs> Didn't go particularly well for me. Um, but, but why I thought it was genius is because the Indian spinners want to bowl quicker. Great. Let's use their pace against them. Again, they didn't really think about that. And, and the other problem with Oli Pope, if you look at the way he played spin, not just in Asia as well, where he struggled mm. with spin right across his career, certainly before McCullum. He's got a lot better since McCullum. But his biggest problem was he's kind of crease bound, mm. right? As in, he doesn't really go back the way that Joe Root does. And he doesn't really come forward also, I suppose, the way that Joe Root does or, or, or you know, or someone else like that or someone like Cameron Green mm. or something. And I know they're very different heights, but... He's not really, if you look at him, trying to stretch forward in Ian Bell type uh -huh. of way, right? And you get caught in that middle bit, and that's that's where you struggle, right? The reverse sweep means that he's naturally taking the ball a lot further mm. out, right? So he's he's taking away some of the times he would normally on the, be on the back foot. He's coming forward. And then what you get is that next step, right? Because for one thing I would say about Oli Pope is, of modern cricketers, he's probably one of the best users of mm. his feet in the world. I mean, we've seen him do it against the yeah. quicks, right? You you can't skip down to the quicks unless you're very good at that particular movement, right? And so once he got the reverse sweeps going, he then just sprinkled in a little bit of using his feet. Again, that wasn't something that he was doing, especially early on against um, spinners in Asia before this. That's a whole new method. So India's sitting there going, wait a minute, like, how do we actually handle this? This isn't what we had planned for. We weren't ready for this. And I think also there was a, a little bit of something that went on in his, in his favor was because he wasn't playing the reverse sweep always particularly well. I think they were thinking, well, he's eventually mm. going to hit one straight up True. in the air or he's going to miss one or, you know, or whatever. There was one, I don't know if you saw it. It is one of the most bizarre moments of cricket. I, I'll need to go back and find it where he gets into a reverse position and then he walks down the wicket to play the reverse. <laughs> It's so much, it's so, it just melted my brain watching that, right? And he played it terribly <laughs> because of course he did. It's hard enough to play a reverse sweep when you stand still, let alone move. But think about what he's trying to do there. So his first movement is to get into the reverse situation. I think what happened was he got into it slightly mm. too early and realized that they, they were going to be able to see it. 
Then he thinks to himself, okay, so how do I upset the bowler? Well, if I take a couple of steps, that's going to really put off their length a little bit here and I should still be able to reverse it. I don't think he did. I think mm. he missed it or hit his pad or whatever. The point being is that is kind of where this is. That is what this is, right? It is trying to just upset the op opposition team a little bit. And then in India, you just want to get the ball soft. Mm. And once the ball got soft, he batted really, really well. In fact, the, the only person who really massively troubled him was uh, outside of a couple of you know great deliveries was probably yeah. Boomerang. Right. Everyone else, I think he played. I remember at one stage he had a uh, control uh, percentage of 70 and I was like, oh, that's not good. Mm. He, he probably should have been out. And to be honest, he probably should have gone out early on, right, in a normal innings. But then I did look up the control percentage and I think he was at about 85 mm. or 90 against everyone and, and at 55 against <laughs> Boomer. So it was a big part of just Boomer bowling brilliantly to him. Remember that cricket is a funny game. 100 years before we protected our heads, players looked after their groins. So don't be as stupid as old cricketers and protect your computer today. NordVPN is the protection I use when facing cyber shortfalls or when rights issues try to dismiss me. NordVPN will help you get through the straight bat of any geo blocks so you can watch all the cricket you want. If you need your pitch changed, well, NordVPN can doctor any surface to a new location so that your IP address is set up for you to win. Want to buy an associate cricket shirt from a place that won't ship to your country? Select NordVPN. Want to watch a game on a free stream in another hemisphere? NordVPN. Or if you just want to watch a clip on social media that a cricket board won't allow you to, promote NordVPN to pinch it for you. So if you need a VPN, go Nord. Use nordvpn.com forward slash Timber to get a huge discount off your Nord VPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the show notes. Protect your computer like a cricketer protects its nether region with Nord VPN today. Yeah, and I mean, uh, in true baseball spirit and fashion, Ollie Pope, you know, went outside the box and, uh, you know, they, as they say, he was out of syllabus for India. And uh, yeah, what a knock. It'll be remembered, uh, you know, for, for a long, long time, as, as it should be, because it just was that great. I was on a space on Twitter, Jared, uh, after day two. Atif Nawaz from they, the BBC. I didn't even know they still yeah, existed. They do still exist. Atif Nawaz from the BBC was also <laughs> on the space. And I went on to say that I feel like this is the end of Ollie Pope's career. And Atif said that Tom Hartley is just not cut out for test cricket. And <laughs> days three and four, the complete opposite happens. Of course, let's move on to Hartley, the Lancastrian. He made his debut in this test. And uh, Mike Atherton gave him his cap. And on his first ever delivery in international cricket, he was dispatched for a maximum by Yashasvi Jaiswal. So the opposite of Shamar Brooks, or sorry, not Shamar Brooks, Shamar Joseph. We're going to mess up the Shamars in the future. I can already see that happening. God, ne <laughs> I'd never thought of that before. And now I'm never going to not think yeah. of that. So if I stuff it up, we know why. We know how that brainworm got yeah. in my head. But anyway, after you know, uh, getting hit for six on his very first delivery, he turned it around. He took nine wickets in the game, and more importantly, seven for sixty-two in the fourth innings. And also with the bat, he contributed with twenty-three and thirty-four, which was very, very handy. I mean, England ultimately won by twenty-eight runs, so each one of those runs mattered. And this yeah. is a guy, Jared, who in twenty-first class games. Prior to this test match, had 40 wickets. He was not basically there because of his performances in this team. He was a quick viz pick because of his high release points. And that's what makes this all the more fascinating. Yeah, no, it does. I, I remember on Discord, on I've been on the second day, there was, you know, a lot of people saying, you know, why have they done this? And, you know, it's not working. And and I said, look, I mean, his basic skill set still makes sense. The problem he had on day one 
was they made him open the bowling, which is just hmm. stupid. It was a, a really stupid decision that I, I just, I was, I was actually upset about it because I, I don't like when we, we, this is a guy who is a part-time bowler in hmm. county cricket, right? 20, 40 wickets in 20 games. Never bowled with a new ball before. Oh, we'll get you to bowl <laughs> to, you know, one of the best young left-handers in the game in Rohit Sharma. Like, just fucking stupid. I hate stuff like that. There's no reason to do that. You meant Yashasvi. You know, Joe Rohit Sharma is not young. <laughs> no, I said the, the best young left-hander and oh, Rohit Sharma. Sharma. Right. Yeah, I, I hope yeah. that's what I said anyway. Just want um, to make sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe I didn't. Who knows? Who knows what happens in my mind? But, you know, so I, I thought that was stupid. And then you watched him later on and he was starting to land the ball a little bit mm. better. I wouldn't say he ever bowled particularly well in the first innings. And, you know, his wickets were lucky and he still bowled way too many short balls and, you know, a couple too many full mm. tosses and his line wasn't particularly great and all these different things. But, you know, the, the two obvious people that to replace him are, you know, who could have replaced him if they wanted another left arm mm. finger spinner is uh, Liam mm -hmm. Dawson and uh, Moriarty. Now, I think Moriarty is quite a good bowler. Um, I think it's Dan yeah, Moriarty, it's Dan. isn't it? I think I've got his name wrong. Yeah. Uh, I think he's quite a good bowler. You know, watched him a little bit at, at the Oval mm. at times. Um, he's got a decent record. Again, I think he's quite a similar bowler to Jack mm. Leach, right? So Dawson, I would say, again, is a very similar bowler to Jack yeah. Leach. Tom Hartley is not, right? They were looking for that. They were making that decision, all knowing that it could go horribly mm. wrong, right? Um, and you know, in the second innings, he did bowl a little bit better. He felt a little bit more confident. You know, he got a wicket. Um, I don't think they gave him the new ball. I think they gave Joe Root the new ball in the second innings, if I remember correctly. You know, just little things. The other thing was that in the first innings, it was a little baseball-y, right? Of like, we'll just keep the field up, but eventually these guys will go out, especially early on. Whereas in the second innings, they went, no, well, Rahan Arm and Tom Hartley clearly just need some players on the boundary. So we're just going to put them out there. You know, anti baseball. Right. Um, ben Stokes also probably stole a wicket for yeah. him when he had the silly point for Shub McGill. And even then, I think, you know, no one goes out caught at silly point anymore. Right. Like that's a really unlucky, no, unlucky is maybe the wrong way of putting it, but it's a really unlikely way. Like that basically hits the middle mm. of the bat. It's not, the, I shouldn't say the middle of the bat. It basically didn't hit the edge. Yeah. Right. It hits the outside part of the bat. I, I can't, it's just pre, pre DIRS. That was a very normal mm. dismissal. And now it's not. But Hartley just feels, you know, he gets those two wickets. You go through it. What it, of his nine wickets in the game? It's probably the row hit ball and obviously the absolute magic Jaffa to um, KS Oof, Barrett. That right? was some delivery. I, I don't think any of the other balls you would go, oh, what a great bowler or anything, right? Um, but he is fast and he is tall and he does put spin on it. And you could see their basic template mm. there. I'm not sure that Dawson or Moriarty wouldn't have outbowled him. I'm also not sure either of them would have got nine wickets, right? And sometimes it is, it, you know, the best player isn't always the best player, especially when, when you're doing something like that. His batting uh, and his fielding, he got a run out as well. Um, you know, he's just, uh, uh, there's a lot of things I like about Tom Hartley. Um, his batting's weird, by the way. I don't know what's going on with his back lift and the way it's some sort of weird Ricky Clark-like mm. clone. Um, but he, he's, I like the way he tries to put pressure back on mm. when he's batting. I think he's a really good athlete. 
like I think his dad was his dad a professional or his mum was a professional athlete. I think, um, I think someone in Tom Hartley's family anyway. So he comes from a line of athletes. Like you just see the way he moves. It's just like you know, with all due respect to Ryan Ahmed, who tries really really hard. You watch him going. That's that's not a naturally athletic person. Whereas with Tom Hartley, you're just like, oh, he could play. You know, slide him in at um, shooting guard uh, for the England basketball <laughs> team. Like he he moves quite yeah. well. Um, and so yeah, so you, you there's all these little things that you like. He could still get pumped for the rest of this series, right? Um, he's not the finished article. England didn't think he was the finished article. They made mistakes with him. They learnt a, a, a little bit like, like what happened with Ollie Pope. But what a magical story, mm. right? Like he was written off. I, have you seen the footage of him um, drunkenly singing his own Barmy no. Army song? Um, <laughs> it's it's good. He, he's got some. I tell you what, talk about athleticism. Some good dance moves. <laughs> um, so um, I, I just think that I. I I think there's a, an element of ass about mm. this, right? And, you know, I compared it to the Jason Crazy mm. game when he takes the um, 12 wickets against India all, all those years back. But unlike with Jason Crazier, there's something a little bit more repeatable about what mm. Hartley can do in these conditions. Whereas with Jason Crazy, we're like, oh, <laughs> he's done this, but he's also got smash. I'm not sure Jason Crazier is ever going to be this level of bowler again. Whereas with Tom Hartley, you're like, okay, he's a good athlete. Maybe they'll keep him around. Occasionally when they need a second spinner, he'll come in. Maybe an Asian specialist. I didn't see anything. He was, I don't think he was accurate enough to bowl outside of Asia. You know, little things like that. Um, but it, what a, again, what, what a great story. And I I think when we say it's a quick viz pick and when we, you know, when we talk about the higher release points and everything else, it's worth remembering. If England just had a better second spinner mm. option, they would have played, yeah. right? Like if they... If if Liam Dawson was an off spinner, they probably would have said to him, "How much are you getting paid in the SA twenty? Mm. We'll uh, we'll give you that plus twenty percent to play in this five test series, right? Like that's what would have happened. And it, and if Leach gets injured, they might you know and can't mm. play, they might still make that offer. To Liam yeah, Dawson. you never know; it could happen. And uh, what I love about this whole Tom Hartley and Shamar Joseph story is that we're in January 2024 and go back to December 2023 and not many people would know their names and here they are both with seven first. Mm. Of course, we'll get to Joseph later. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we don't know where his career will lead him. Of course, it's just his first test. But right now we can take his name in the same breath as Jim Laker, right? Because those are the most successful uh, uh, figures for an English spinner on debut, something like that. So that that's phenomenal. Let's go to um, some of the what-ifs hypotheticals that a lot of people hate on this show, but we'll still go over them because that's what we do. <laughs> uh, Akshar Patel dropped Oli Pope when he was on 110, but more importantly, the lead was only at 67 at that point. And sure, mm. KL Rahul dropped him later as well, but that, that Akshar drop is what I think could have really changed the script for India. But what a lot of people have been complaining about, Jared, and not just fans, I've seen Dinesh Karthik, Harsha Bhogle really weigh in on this, is Rohit Sharma's captaincy being defensive. Now, of course, if England have clawed their way back into the game after having conceded a lead of 190, that conversation will be there that Sharma should have been more proactive and all of that. But do you think that is one of the main contributing factors? Across this hmm. game... It might be different in the last couple of overs, but up until in, certainly in the first three innings, the batting average in the in the oh god, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think the batting average in the first fifty overs was thirty two. Mm. I want to say that's right, and the batting average in fifty to eighty was over fifty, fifty three, fifty four. Mm. People never factor that into Asian cricket, and it does my head <laughs> in, right? 
Look at when Stokes starts to yeah. score. Have a look at what point in the game that is. Have a look at the Pope um, folks mm-hmm. partnership. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we see these things again and again, and we just kind of ignore them. And it's like, I saw that pattern from a mile off, right? And, and patterns within games can be weird as well, because, you know, England in bat particularly mm-hmm. well in the first innings. And uh, England lost a lot of wickets kind of early in the second innings. Not early, mm-hmm. but, you know, um, uh, throughout their, their yeah. second innings as well. And yet that pattern still held up, right? And it was clear to me that it was, I mean, look at Hartley, Rayan Ahmed, um, folks, um, you know, all, all of those. Uh, and then Ashwin and Barrett did the exact same thing, right? Once that ball got soft, it, it just changed the dynamics of that pitch enough to allow pretty much everyone to score runs. Look, it, and, and people go, oh, Rohit's so defensive. I think there are issues with Rohit we'll get to in a minute. But how attacking did Ben Stokes look when Ashwin and Barrett were together? at the end right didn't look particularly attacking to me at that point right uh there were plenty of times when india was smashing the ball around the first innings when england didn't look particularly attacking and didn't look like they had a clear plan and everything else so if england had lost was that the narrative is that the narrative that was going to happen to england it's a close game both teams are really in it the one thing i would say is and and to be fair to england i thought they weren't as good as that in this test but have been very good at it in the baseball era of manufacturing yeah. wickets. And I think that everyone around the world has got so used to taking wickets easily because of the wobble ball and, uh, you know, in India at home with their spinners and all these different things. The teams are not quite as good at manufacturing wickets on flat pitches or, you know, in flat periods of games. True. And I think that if if you if you go through some of Basball's success is that teams are just waiting for them to go out, whereas England don't wait for, for the other person to go out. They try and trip them up right? Like even, even from a position of strength, they're still trying to do something like that. When was the last time Rohit had to really manufacture multiple wickets? I'm not saying he hasn't had to get people out occasionally or anything like that, but literally manufacture something to happen. Certainly not yeah. at home in a very, very long time, right? And, and I do think that plays a part. If your bowl is like, it, and it's, the, let's call this a Ricky Ponting conundrum. If you're Ricky Ponting in your captaining and your your main plan is I will give the ball to um, McGrath. Oh, that didn't work. I will give the ball to Shane Warne. Oh, that didn't work. I will give the ball to Gillespie or Brett Lee. Like, you don't really have to think all that much about making wickets happen. If you've got Jadeja and you've got Ashwin and you've got Bumrah, there's an element of yeah. that, right? In, in Rohit's captaincy. So maybe the part of his brain, the let's call it the Stephen Fleming um, <laughs> section of his cricket brain, is maybe not being worked as much as it was once upon a time. I think that's a fair argument to say, but you can't have a go at India and pretend that England didn't do similar things in the same yeah. match, right? And England's supposed to be the progressive mm. team here. They're supposed to be the ones who are like, he's a banana skin <laughs> we're throwing out on, on the field, right? <laughs> so I do think that is important, but if if I was uh, Raul Dravid um, and maybe maybe Ashwin, I'm trying to think, you know, some, um, uh, some of the more senior players... Um, uh, that are that are around, and maybe even someone like Kyle Rowell, although he's not there at the moment. Um, I reckon I would go to him and go, and and say, is is there a plan that we can come up with that you know for each batter that is C plan, right? Like of just of let's just try and get them to play this shot over and over again. Like, is there a way of just setting the field up so that Joe Root feels like he has to sweep mm. everything, um, you know, whatever it is? But during this match, I don't know if you picked it up. Um, 
I think it was KP picked it up. Bairstow had a 7-2 field against him. Seven fielders on the offside and two on the leg side, right? No one talking about that now, mm. right? No, that's a pretty dramatic field. I can't think of too many spinners who have bowled to that field before. That's a, there's a lot of thinking and planning in that. And Besto didn't have a particularly good game. I would say against England's best three players of spin, they had um, India had a pretty good yep. game. Sadly for them, one of the guys who wasn't very good against spin was the one who got away. But that's yeah, how it goes. yeah, and I feel like sure you can obviously be critical about Rohit's, you know, in-game decision-making or whatever, but I don't think he should be made a scapegoat. Or Akshar, for that matter of fact, happens to the best of us. Of course, it was a crucial catch yeah. to go down, but then again, 28 runs were the difference between both sides. It's not like India got walloped or anything, right? And also, this is something that Rahul Dravid brought up, right, in the post-match press, that he said that they should have scored more runs in the first inning, yeah. 70 to 80. Well, I want to talk about this a little bit because, of course, Jaiswal scored that whirlwind 80. KL Rahul scored a magnificent 86, but then, you know, went out cheaply, I'd say, in a way that he shouldn't have gotten out. And then Jadeja was very, very clutch with his 87. No Indian got to 100, no Indian batter. But mm. I suppose it's the... The bowlers yeah, did. The bowlers <laughs> did. But I suppose it was the cheap dismissals or maybe, like, it seemed like they were throwing away wickets, which is what has started this conversation. Do you think this is where that's coming from? Thanks to the kind folks at FlexiSpot for looking after my office and my butt by sending me their E7 Pro Desk that save your favorite desk heights at a touch of a button. You don't have to crank anything. This thing just finds the height that you like and you can work. And their BS12 Pro Chair that supports my posterior while I'm recording, well, this ad and all my shows. If you need great desks, especially ones that change heights or the best quality chairs, head on over to FlexiSpot. Yeah, I think this is a far bigger... I mean, if if I was India's analyst right now and someone was coming to me and asking me about Rohit Sharma and be like, yeah, that's a conversation, but how about our batters actually all go and make 150? Mm when they're set against a terrible attack. Jack Leeds could barely yeah. bowl. Joe Root, not particularly accurate bowler, giving you plenty of balls to scare, score off. Ryan Ahmed could not control the ball at all. And Tom Hartley was giving you probably one ball to hit every over. I'm sorry. That should have scored 550. Yeah. Right? And, and they're, you know, it's, it, you know, they, I think they wanted to attack a little bit more. I think they wanted to... Um, put some pressure back on England, and I get it. There's a lot of wickets given away that didn't really need to be given away. Um, and some, you know, poor implementation of attacking shots as well, like um, Jaiswell, Rohit, Shubman Gill, and Shreya Sire off the top of my head. Four guys who played attacking shots, but didn't actually play them particularly well, right? Um, or didn't pick the right ball or anything else. And like, you look at the Shreya Sire one. I love Shreya Sire, and I think he's a fantastic mm. player, obviously. But I was watching that shot going, why would you take a, a length ball that's spinning back into middle, middle and leg um, and try and slog it over the leg side with a shot that you don't really, it's not really your you know, main go-to shot. He goes down the ground. When, that's um, his thing. Yeah. When in five minutes time, or in the next two overs, you know Rayan Ahmed's going to bowl a full mm. toss and a half tracker. Yeah. Right. Now, maybe he would say, well, if I keep putting pressure on him, I get more of those balls. I kind of get that. But I kind of think at a certain point, Ranama just couldn't tr control his length. So just wait for that. And if he bowls you five or six balls in a row, fine. Maybe, maybe then you think about putting more pressure on him. It just, there was just little things like that. But I, I think that's a far bigger issue. And again, I think that also comes out of 
a very similar thing, which is that maybe they wanted to match England a little bit, but also I think there was a sort of a cavalier way to the way they mm. batted because they thought they already had enough runs and they're also not used to batting on old-fashioned Indian wickets, and this was more of an old-fashioned Indian yeah. wicket, where you have to literally win the game in the second in 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 the um in your first mm. innings and you have to grind the opposition down so there was a point at which someone was talking about declaration and i was like well i hope they're not <laughs> thinking about declaration right because i hope they're thinking a let's take this as long as possible yeah. um and ruin these <laughs> bowlers right emotionally and physically because it's a long series you want joe root bowling 100 overs if you can right um and B, they should be thinking that they'd never need to bat again. And they, I just don't think they were playing like that. They actually needed to bat more like Raul Dravid, right, in this in yeah. this particular situation. But, as, but the important thing, and you said it before, and I really want to bring it up, it was a close yeah. test, right? I can go through. There were bunches of things that England did wrong mm. in this test. And there are bunches of things that India did wrong in this test. Right. And what we do is one team wins by 28 runs over four days. And we're like, this team is terrible <laughs> and this team is genius. What? Yeah, I, I don't get that either. Like, and I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I think the criticism is a bit over the top. And yeah, I, I understand Rahul Dravid's point. Of course, you made a fantastic point that maybe a batter like him could have really taken it deep. The idea or the narrative after day two should have probably been, you know, bat once, bat big, bat England out of the game. But the narratives was, uh, or the narrative was that forget Baz ball, it's Jess ball. That's what was happening, right? That was the story that we thought we were going to get, but that's not what happened. And uh, just one, I, suppose, I don't mind. I don't mind him playing yeah, like that. Same, right? Um, but there should have been Gill shot, for instance, where it's just like again, why are you playing that shot off that ball? Just wait for Tom Hartley to bowl you another shit ball. Like there were plenty coming. Yeah. Um, like I went through the the lengths on on one of the mood board, uh, one of the scoreboard shows. It's like quite obvious how many bad balls England were bowling. They could have scored almost three hundred and fifty runs in a day without playing a stupid <laughs> shot, right? Like that's probably what I would have tried to yeah, do. And that is uh, somewhere where tactically India definitely messed up. All right, so uh, with respect to India's bowling, of course, fourteen out of the twenty English wickets that fell were taken by spinners, the spin bowling trio of Jadeja, Ashwin and Akshar. But we expected that. Who I have, you know, a little sorrow for and I really feel for him right now is Jasmeet Bumrah because this was not a surface that was supposed to be conducive to his bowling. It wasn't one where, mm. you know, paces were supposed to succeed and he ended up with six in the game and four wickets in the third innings of the match in particular. And some of those wickets, I mean... That seed that he bowled to Ben Stokes, making him look like an absolute amateur. There was an off-spinner, I think, that got rid of Rayan Ahmed. Even the one that, you know, knocked over, um, what was it, Ben Duckett's off-pole. Some really high-quality pace bowling and so much variety and skill on show that I really felt that it's unlucky that Jasprit Bumrah had to end up in the losing side. Oh, it was fantastic bowling. Uh, or Yeah, no doubt. I, I, was, I was saying there was a lot of people in the comments and on Discord and stuff, talking about, you know, oh, England have picked Wood, they mm. should have picked Anderson. But I think if they picked Anderson, I think other people would have said, oh, they should have mm. picked Wood. The enforcer. Right? India, yeah, and India have a player who can do both. Pretty much. Right? He's not quite as accurate as Anderson. Um, he's probably or as skillful as Anderson, mm. but maybe in slightly different ways. He's not quite as accurate as, as Mark Wood, but, uh, sorry, not quite as fast as Mark Wood, but, you know, there and thereabouts. Um, it's an incredible package to have all in, in one go. And yeah, you you probably probably in both innings, 
There were times when he broke through, which actually, you know, really helped India. Like these weren't didn't go for runs. These either, weren't did he? sort of it was really, really yeah. Phenomenal. But they weren't like like they were impactful mm. wickets in yeah. both innings, right? Like, like I think if you look, if you go back and you have a look at, it, they were certainly four of them off the top of my head. I can think of were quite impactful uh, wickets. How often is he going to get impactful mm. wickets uh, on on you know over the last couple of years on some of the pitches they've gone on? So you're right, like it's kind of a wasted, yeah. uh, wasted effort from him. But a reminder again of um, just how talented he is. Uh, fa- you know the Rayan Ahmed ball. Uh, well done to Rayan Ahmed for yeah. that because I just don't think many people batting eight, nine, ten in world cricket are getting an edge on that. Absolutely, and just to talk about the Stokes one as well. I mean. Here is Ben Stokes in his, you know, preferred narrative, right? England, uh, you know, reeling, the chips are down. Stokes is coming and he's playing a blinder. He's leading from the front. He's gone up to 70, which, you know, in hindsight was a really clutch innings if you look at it that way. But mm. the way he kind of, or Bumrah kind of outfoxed Stokes, I felt like Stokes initially wanted to go up and over the covers or something like that. Then midway through that shot, he decided, oh, I can only defend this. And he couldn't. And you can't make that sort of error versus a bowler of Bumrah's quality because then you'll end up looking the same way Stokes was ended up uh, or he ended up looking because that that was special that was like that Shami dismissal in the World Cup remember yeah yeah I mean it was and to be fair Ben Stokes was batting terribly against Shami right and that was a new ball so very different situation and yet you know we see the same again Ben Stokes is in full form Trying to do every and he looked silly in yeah. the end, right? Like he looked like he was in the wrong. It looked like he kind of been photoshopped to be standing there playing that shot. Um, uh, no, it's look. I mean, Boomer is. I think Boomer is um, pound for pound. Well, across all formats, certainly a better bowler mm-hmm. than Cummins. I think pound for pound, he is um, probably more skillful than Cummins. Maybe doesn't have the elite accuracy yeah. consistently. Mm-hmm that Cummins has. And then you've got Rabada and his ability to break through, right? So, you know, just mm. three out and out great bowlers. But Boomer is the most interesting, yeah. right? I think out of the three of them, and I, I like watching all three of them, if I'm being honest, but you want to watch almost every delivery of Boomer because he's now thinking something else. And it's a bit like, I, I really like, I remember 2013 Champions Trophy, I want to say. Was it 2017? It was one of the Champions mm. Trophies in England anyway. Remember watching a spell of Jimmy Anderson and turning to another fast bowler and going, "He's bowling this like he's a spinner," hmm. and and I can't remember who it was. who was beside. It might have been someone like Glenn McGrath or was it Macro? Like it was like a proper mm-hmm. bowler. I said, and I and I can't remember who the batter was, but I said you could see him moving this player around ball by ball where he's trying to get him. And this is a one day game yeah. too. And and the and the uh, the whoever the bowling legend was sort of looked at me and goes, "Yeah, this is not normal." Hmm. Um, you know, this is not what bowlers do, yeah. right? And you watch Bumrah in in some of the spells we saw in in this mm-hmm. game, and it was kind of similar sort of stuff. And you're just like, wow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, forget watching the highlights of Bumrah's wickets. I would just watch close-ups of his release all day. That's just how skillful he is. Like, it's beautiful to watch. And yeah, I mean, that's one player that I definitely feel for. Other than that, um, we obviously discussed Stokes innings. Uh, Joe Root bowled 48 overs in this game and England had gone in with three spinners and a pacer, which did not include Joe Root. I found that funny. He was also their most successful bowler in the first innings, took four wickets, ended up with five in the game. And, you know, moving forward, right, maybe England will think now that they can bring in Jimmy Anderson, go with two pacers and have 
Root as the third spinner. Do you think that is a viable option or do you think they should go on to do the same as they did in this test because they were receiving a lot of flack for it, remember? Uh, I mean, the problem is, I thought he bowled really well early on in uh, the first innings. I think that's right. That's when he got Jai Swell. Did he get someone else out as well? That's I mean, no, but he almost got he almost got Kale Roll and Shubman Gill yeah. out. Yeah, um, could have could have had all three of them. I think at various times the way the way they were playing against him. But there were a lot of times when he just bowled shit. And I think the thing is, people love Root, and obviously, you know, to have a top order player with his ability to bowl the way he does is a huge thing. But it's like sometimes the, the comments that people make about him doesn't match up with what you're watching. He's just bowled a full toss down the leg side, like Jack Leach. Didn't bowl those deliveries, right? That's a frontline spinner. So I worry about him having to be a frontline mm. spinner for the whole series. But he, he, I think he's a really, I think he's a better bowler in in Indian conditions than other Asian mm. conditions. I think it suits his kind of bowling a lot more. And his best ball is always been yeah. pretty good. You know, he bowls it quick. You know, he gets good revs on the ball. Um, but you kind of still want him to be your fifth mm -hmm. best bowler, I think. And he was there best bowler at times in this one and that they're not going to win that they've won this test match not going to win a lot of test matches if joe roots their best bowler is my yeah. guess and i mean it's interesting you know because we're going to vizag we expect a rank turner at vizag and leach is well we don't know if he'll be fit for that or not there's a decision to be made mm. over here for england and i wouldn't be surprised if they'll still go with one pacer and all of the rest of the spinners because you know it's worked for them once That's and cool. and baseball what we we speak about how baseball is, of course, fallible, right? It's not like it's absolutely invincible or something. They have lost, what, four test matches. But then again, they've only lost four test matches. They already come out, uh, you know, giving interviews after days that have gone poorly for them. Where they're like, we played great. There's no issue over here. So yeah. imagine, like, why would they want to change anything? I, I personally feel that maybe Jimmy will sit Vizag out as well or maybe Wood will sit that one out and someone else will come in but more importantly over in India Kohli's still unavailable for the second test now we know that KL Rahul and Jadeja are also going to be unavailable that's mm. not ideal far from it actually no I mean they have already don't have Rishabh mm. Pant right so you know there's a lot of good players not there and this is a team where they you know moved on from their experience battles yeah. as well so um, Kyle Rahul you know, another experienced international batter, not there. Jadeja can't replace his mm. batting, right? As, uh, you know, no country's better set up to um, have a backup yeah. uh, for Jadeja And, and than all three India of their is, spinners, then, they bat. So they bat till nine, which is not a luxury that they're going to enjoy. Shubman Gill is going to be in an, under a lot of pressure. Yeah, well, certainly. Um, no, no, it's going to be mm. tricky. It's going to be tricky. And if the pitch is going to... Uh, if it's going to be a more bowling pitch, it was a by the way, just a fantastic cricket wicket. That, yeah, that I loved wicket. it. But um, if it's going to be a bit more bowler dominant in the next test, you know, you've got a lot of younger players again who are going to have to step up and that's going to be tricky. And maybe, you know, Akshar and, and Ashwin have to make mm -hmm. more runs, right? Like, again, it's just not as ideal. Yeah. So what the Vizag Hotel people should do is that they should prepare a box of Cubans and some whiskey for Baz and his boys because they're coming. And yeah, we'll see what happens in the next test. This marathon segment comes to an end. Let's take a break, Jared. You're watching Uncovered with Behram and Jared, of course. Stay tuned. We're coming back with Australia versus West Indies. Welcome back to the Uncovered podcast here with Behram and Jared. And uh, the West Indies have tied 
the series versus Australia 1-1. They had a highly inexperienced squad. I think I mentioned earlier as well that they selected seven uncapped players and four of them debuted during the series. And I mean, no one had them even as a chance to compete. Here they've won a test match and squared the series as well. And out of all those debutants, it's that Shamar Joseph story that we just cannot, like that cannot not be the first thing that we talk about. And I'm going to go over it once again. I know I went over it in the last Uncovered, but there's been so many, you know, uh, new developments. And, you know, this is a kid who was born in Barakara. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's a village where there are like 350 people who live there. The only job for human beings in that village is to log wood. So they just chop wood for a living. What are the jobs for non-human beings? I don't know. Carry the wood. For the cows (laughs) and horses, they probably carry. For the donkeys. Yeah, they probably carry that wood. And uh, he basically moved to New Amsterdam, which is a fair distance away. So he actually had to travel a lot. And he became a security guard. From there, he, you know, uh, tried his luck in cricket. He got uh, scouted by Kurt Lee Ambrose, who mentored him, took him under his wing. He, I think, was neighbors with Romario Shepard in Guyana. And after just five first-class games, he makes his debut test versus Australia in Adelaide. He removes Steve Smith with his, with his very first delivery in international cricket. He ends up with a fifer in his debut test innings with the ball. In the same test, he scores 51 crucial runs with the bat across both innings. And then he enters the second test, has a lean first innings. You know, he's not the talk of the town after that first mm. innings with the ball. And then with the bat, when West Indies are setting Australia target, he gets annihilated with a toe-crushing Mitchell Stark Yorker. You know, I tweeted, I think, that Bill Shamar Joseph's toe a statue at this point, right? Because he's retired hurt. He doesn't even know if he's going to play any further part of this game. Mm. The team doctor or whatever is, is working his toe and he ends up bowling 12 overs on the bounce on day four, gets a seven-wicket haul with that injured toe, is bowling blistering pace all the while. He's clocking 140s easy. And mm. yeah, he, he basically wins West Indies a test match for the first time in Australia, that too at the Gabba after 27 years, 97 at the WACA is when they won last. And if you look at that squad, you're like, of course they won that test, right? Because it's that good a squad. Look at this squad and you're like, okay, like it's been 21 years since Australia last lost to West Indies in a test match. Of course, the famous Ram Naresh Sawan chasing down 418 test match. And this story is almost bigger than the series itself. That That's how big it is. It's It's a movie. It's not even a story. It's a movie right there. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm available for any screenwriting, uh, that anyone needs. Uh, look, I think it is absolutely incredible. You, you've explained it really, really well there. You said that he played five first class games before yes. this test. I think he had in total nine professional mm. games. Wow. Coming into They're two playing. T20s. And I know this because now he's gotten drafted by Peshawar Zalmi in the PSL. So more money for Shamar Joseph. And yeah, it's it's just yep. amazing. It's it's like the Harris Rao story on steroids. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I when people play in Australia, it doesn't happen all the time, but a couple of times people have just sort of reached out to me and said, um, you know, got a bunch of you know players coming over to Australia for the first time. What do they, you know, is there a way of um, having conversations and everything with the fans that will work? You know, I. Not, probably not seen as an expert on um, playing cricket, but probably I'm seen as an expert on Australian fans yelling at players <laughs> and, and abusing them. And I, I meant to reach out to um, a couple of people with the West Indies thing because I saw they were taking a young team and, and I completely forgot about it. 
it's a hard place to play cricket. It's different hard than Pakistan or India mm. is. Um, it's, but it's, it's an intense place to play. When the crowd know who you are, they are going to try and upset mm. you. And, you know, we've obviously seen racist and homophobic and everything else come out of Australian crowds mouths to try and put people off. But just even when it's not that, um, like, I think, I think this is in Jonathan Trott's book, so I could say this, but the, one of the things they were saying to Jonathan Trott on the boundary was, uh, Trot, Trot, your mum's got vagina rot, mm. right? Like it's, you're not going to get that in many no places, wonder he right? It's, Mm. And that, I think that was after they got him a sports, they got a sports psychologist. And they trained him to field down on the mm. boundary. They took it really seriously and still that got in his head. And it's not even, it doesn't even, do you know what I mean? But it just kept happening. And it's like, it, you know, he remembered that line and it's a tough place to play. It's a tough place to make your debut as a bowler, especially as an undersized yeah. bowler. Like, you know, if Shamar Joseph was six foot five, you're like, I could give you a list of the mm. 150 random tall dudes that teams have used in Australia just because they're yeah. tall, right? It's not particularly easy to bowl when you're shorter. doesn't mean short bowlers don't have success. Um, in fact, Darren Goff was, I think it was the first time Goffy had seen mm. him bowl. And Goffy was saying to me, oh, he, he bowls a bit like me. And, and he was saying, everyone thinks you need tall bowlers in Australia. And I was like, yeah, well, I mean, Malcolm Marshall, Dale Steen, um, yourself, Goffy, like the have shorter bowlers have had success before, but the default in Australia is taller bowlers because if everything else is going bad, you can just whack it in on the back yeah. of a length and it's harder for people to handle. He doesn't have that advantage. That's why Australian bowlers are taller. They naturally evolve that way because you know, that's, that's what's successful. He's so it's not like taking a young Ishan Sharma, although I know Ishan had already played tests in India by that point, but it's not like taking a young Ishan Sharma or a young Shaheen mm. Afridi or, you know, these sorts of bowlers. you kind of setting him up for what could be a really, really horrible, you know, um, circumstance yeah. for him. But they didn't have a choice because they don't have, like, multiple other options. And they clearly knew how talented he was. So for him to overcome it all, and also I think, look at the Tom Hartley story, right? So I mentioned Jason Crazier, one test. Mm right? Tom Hartley might never have a test this good again either. You know, we, you know, Ashton Agar's first test. We, there's lots of mm. situations like that. She, Shamar Joseph backed it up in the next yeah. test. With right? An like in, and not just with an injured toe and then um, bowling to victory, yeah. right? So it's not like he bowled in the, like, you know, I don't know, the first innings, West Indies made 200, the second innings, Australia made 300, and he took another cheeky mm. fifer, right? No, he he literally bowled them in this incredibly long spell to victory. I think it was before and after the break, I think, the spell. Yeah. But, you know. Still, still. 11.5 overs and with an injured toe. And he's telling the captain that, yeah. you know, I'm going to keep bowling till that last wicket falls. That Those were his words. Exactly. And I love that. It's, remark it's remarkable. So, I mean, I I hope this is the real thing. I haven't been this excited about a young West Indian bowler since Kemar Roach. Um, he, he, he's genuinely really interesting. Unfortunately, most of what I've seen at the moment of him have been highlights. Every time I, even when I was watching live, every time I looked down, he seemed to take a wicket. <laughs> so, um, I really want to do a deep dive and, and, and have a good look at him, but he's fast. He moves the ball. If you're fast and you can move the ball sideways, height is important, but those other two things also really Getting important. the ball to wobble as well. And it was, or it seems like a really repeatable action. I think that will serve him well. 
I, I like it's it's really fluid and and I just enjoy watching him bowl. But anyway, he wasn't the only hero of this test match. He was, of course, the player of the series, well-deserved award and great PR content coming out as well. Like, love his interviews and everything. Uh, seems to be a really uh, lovely chap. But, uh, of course, your your mate, Kevin Hodge, uh, barring his uh, nut stops, he batted really well, scored 71 along with uh, Joshua, De- Joshua De Silva. He, he scored 79 and uh, Hodge's knock was a bit, you know, uh, there were a few chances in there. Some balls were running through the slip cordon or whatever. De Silva's wasn't, chan- it was a chanceless knock. It, it was spotless. And and he's someone who I have, you know, enjoyed watching bat in the past as well. I always felt like he's a better batter than those numbers suggest. And it was a really mature innings because the West Indies were reeling at 5 for 64. It seemed like, oh, this is going to be another one of those test matches where Mitchell Stark is going to de- destroy the opposition in a day-night test with, with the pink ball. And he turned, or both yeah. of those guys turned that narrative around. They put up a partnership of 149. And it was just like one of the best uh, defiance acts that I've seen in recent times because the game was supposed to be done and dusted on day one. And the West Indies won it on day four. Mm. I think... With Josh De Silva, it's worth remembering. How old do you think he is? Probably thirty by now, no. So Joshua De Silva is, if I'm not mistaken, twenty-five. Oh, wow. I, I was five years off. I've seen him. Like he looks older. He's to been be fair, playing, and he's been playing, yeah, he's for, been ages. playing for a while. Yeah. So that's a perfect. I think a lot of people would assume he is. Uh, you went for thirty. I, I would have thought a lot of people would have assumed 28, 29, 30, 31. A fantastic keeper right? to add. Love his glove work. Yeah. So the point being is, if he was playing for New Zealand. Hmm or Sri Lanka, they probably would have been able to pick other players till he was at least 21, 22, mm-hmm. right? And then he would have come into True. the side. If he was playing for India or Australia or, you know, um, South Africa or England, they could have waited till he was 24, 25, 26, you know, Pakistan, right? These sorts yeah. of sides. That would mean that he would be coming into the side when he had already sort of, you know, killed in first-class cricket and was nearing his peak as mm-hmm. a batter. He probably would just been playing, uh, I mean, when would his first test have been? It must have been during COVID, was might it? Might have been before that. I think he might have debuted in 2020. Oh, is it? When, I don't know when COVID. I don't COVID know when COVID was. COVID was 2020. <laughs> yeah, so you're right. It was during that uh, yeah. pandemic season. The only reason I remember that is because I'm pretty sure he was on um, uh, uh, Santoki and, and Michelle's hmm. podcast. Um, and that was, I think I just heard about him and then they had him on as a guest. And I was like, I must listen hmm. to that. And then we're like five minutes later, he was playing test cricket. And I was like, wait, <laughs> what's happening here? Um, I'm not even sure if I went, I, I think I went back and listened yeah. to it after he played his test. If I remember, unless I'm misremembering all that. But the point being is I think he started probably just, you know, a year and a half to two years mm-hmm. before he, he should have. So I think his overall record is partly because mm-hmm. of that, but this is, he's got everything he needs to be, a proper wicketkeeper yeah. batter, an average. From here, it was uh, maybe not from here, but from the next year, year and a half, he could easily have a four or five year period where he averages four, low forties, mm. right? High thirties, low forties. Yeah. He's got everything that he needs to be able to do that, but he just hasn't developed yet. And you know, we you see innings like that, and I've certainly seen him play some fantastic innings before, and you think oh, this is the and it's like no, he's. He's still coming along, but he's an incredible cricketer. Um, and I really hope that I hope that he can stick around until he reaches yeah. his peak. I think the worst case scenario would be, you know, it keeps averaging, you know, under 30 because he really should be batting at number five with his talent in this side, which would just give them an incredible amount of flexibility, yeah. right? Like, you know, he could if he could be a poor man's Andy Flower for the West Indies and just even average 
you know, low 40s, as I said, for a period of five years. Just They just haven't found players like that. And I think he has everything he needs other than he's not quite confident enough to always play his attacking yeah. shots. Um, and uh, but, but he's a fantastic cricketer. It was great to see him make some uh, runs as well. Yeah, I'll tell you what. In that partnership, what I liked most was that they play, played really, really well with a straight bat. And all of these West Indian batters, they might not have lasted long, but the drives were like sumptuous. Great driving of the ball. And uh, yeah, I mean, both Hodge and De Silva, they kind of dug the West Indies out of those depths of despair. But who, the, the players that really solidified their position in that first innings were Kevin Sinclair, who got his... Uh, you know, maiden 50 in his debut test innings. I believe this was his debut test. And then he was amazing in the slips as well. Uh, took that, you know, maiden wicket and did the whole somersault flip thing, which obviously everyone loved. And uh, people who watch the CPL must have known that he's definitely going to bring that out. I, I, I think Kevin Sinclair should celebrate all of his milestones like that. If he gets to a 50 with the bat, he should do the same flippy flip thing. And then Alzari Joseph, that whirlwind 30-odd. And... This is a guy who we've all touted as someone who's really, you know, talented. But he hasn't really come mm. to the fore as a bowler. He's, he's actually had a fair few knocks with the bat. He's done well. But with the ball, he hasn't quite lived up to his potential. And over here, he took six wickets in the game, including four in the first innings. He basically ended up having a better test than Mitchell Stark, which tells you something, right? <laughs> and I think that partnership and then sub their subsequent contributions, they were just equally important, you know, because this was a team effort and that's what made this test match so great because you saw all of these West Indian guys who haven't really played test cricket before come together and with all of that, like they had like two or three experienced players in that team and they came and they, you know, downed the mighty Australians in their fortress. Uh, on the only other team mm. after India to have defeated them at the Gabba since God knows when. So, you know, uh, both of those guys, Sinclair and Alzari, I think that that song needs to be sung more. I think Sinclair's a really interesting cricketer going mm. forward. He's probably what they thought Kevin Hodge was going to be four or five years ago and never quite developed into, which is someone who can take regular wickets, mm. but also either pinch hit at seven or be a really, really strong number eight, or maybe even Rakim Cornwall. Mm. You know, there's a couple of guys that they thought might be that kind of cricketer, and it you know, hasn't quite worked for them for a variety of reasons. Kevin Hodge, I don't think he bowled in this test at all. Um, or in either of the tests, did he? Uh, Hodge? Um, so you, yeah. yeah, I can't quite recall. I was flipping between the two games. I don't think he did in the first mm. test. I can't remember if he did in the in the first innings of the second test. I mean, he will bowl at times, but the point being, he's no longer quite that cricketer. So Sinclair, look at him and go, mm. well, that's that's quite interesting. He's, um, you know, my memories of him in franchise cricket is, again, a bit like what we were talking about with Hartley, mm. of just, yeah, he's got some skills in bat and bowling, but he's an yeah. athlete. Right. You know, there's something really interesting about him athletically and the way he moves around the field. So he's always going to be handy with the bat, the ball or in the field, you know, um, in, in that kind of way. Azari Joseph, again, is young, mm. right? He's 27 now. Um, we've all seen him for, he's been playing international cricket for what, five or six years, I want to say at this point. Roughly. It came into this. I think it was what, an under-19 World Cup that they won, right? The Rishabh Pant World Cup. I think Alzari was part of that squad. Well, 2016 was his first hmm. test. So he was really... Right. So so we, so yeah, this is the Ishant Sharma mm -hmm. thing, right? Of like, like, so someone said to me, Alzari Joseph's a fraud. Let me tell you something. You talk to someone who's faced Alzari Joseph on a good day, no one's calling mm -hmm. him a fraud. Certainly not to his face, right? His best ball is absolutely, without question, international quality delivery. He has, I think he has problems with repeatability. Mm -hmm. 
and he hasn't always worked out in in what he doesn't always know what he can do if he's not in perfect rhythm when he's in perfect rhythm uh he's unplayable but when he's not in perfect rhythm it kind of looks flat a lot of the times but he can move the ball around he can get bounce he can bowl with pace as you said he can hold yeah. it back you know um you know there's lots of good things about him but we are talking about a guy who's played for a, fa a fairly weak team for the last mm -hmm. seven years he has underperformed at times, but I think his overall bowling average is like 35, right? Like go back and have a look at some of the West Indian bowlers they had beforehand. They would take 35. Mm. If he then hits his peak in the next couple of years and becomes a little bit more repeatable, understands what he can do on his, on his bad days a little bit better. He's still a fantastic player. I've, I think at least twice I've seen him at his absolute best live, like, you know, at mm. the ground, he, he could play. Yeah. Right. And, and has incredible talent. But, you know, we've seen uh, there's a holder, um, Chima holder. Um, uh, what's the other guy? Seals? Yeah, Jaden Seals. Yep. Um, there, we've seen a couple of young bowlers come in. Obed McCoy. Sort of, yeah, I mean, Obed probably hasn't played in test mm. cricket, although has probably the skills to do it but we've seen a couple of young guys with talent come into the test team at time yeah. and haven't been able to repeat it there's a something about azari that has been has managed to keep himself mm. around at least without always starring and he probably has the high ceiling of those you know three guys oh, i still think shima holder is a really good cr cricketer as well but i think he might have the highest ceiling of those guys but it might take him a long time to to get there i thought this was a really good test he'd been pummeled mm. in australia um you know across two tours yeah. at this point um and he does feel like a confidence mm. cricketer so for him to come out i think you know make those important runs pick up six wickets get rid of usman quadra take an important mm. wicket at the end thought was fantastic for yeah him. and i mean uh, he is one of the major contributors to this win and like you said like father time is on his side so we may still see mm. the best of alzari joseph going forward and may we still uh, continue to see a lot of uh, test wickets by kevin sinclair because we're not done with that celebration just as yet all right one major talking point that has come out of this test match is of course cummins declaration now i understand that you know uh, under lights you mm. want the pink ball to do things and you want to get some early wickets they got a, they wicket, got a wicket and also uh, steve smith dropped a catch so they would have had two wickets had he not put that chance yeah. down and it's funny uh, smudger caught some screamers and then dropped a few as well in this game so mixed uh, bagger results with uh, you know the slip fielding as far as that is concerned but pat cummins was on a career best 64 my argument is that okay you have decided to have a bowl today just give it a slog you might as well get you know 6 12 more runs um what if he didn't? I mean, I, I don't think he's and going he actually to made... lose any sleep over this decision. I don't think so because it did make sense tactically. Yeah. Well, let, let's say he tries to slog and can't really get the ball away, but West Indies can't get him out. And then he only gets two overs mm. at the end of the day. He doesn't get to put any pressure back. We would never say, oh, if only he declared because we weren't, most of us weren't really thinking about that as, as a possible mm -hmm. outcome. Um, but it would still be a mistake, right? And I get it. I think in most situations, I would say don't declare behind. Um, you know, don't declare in that situation. And I've got a friend who's you're really, really smart, and and he was saying to me, you should never declare in the first innings. And and I was like, yeah. I think if I was the analyst, I kind of would have been on on board with this. And as you said, they take it two catches. Yeah. They did. I don't think they lost this game because of that declaration. They lost this game because they couldn't really make many mm. runs. Right? You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be in a situation where 
you shouldn't be in a situation where you've declared at nine wickets down and that has cost you a test match. Now, that has happened in part because this is such a close yeah. game, right? But they should, this shouldn't have been a close mm. game. Look, all due respect to the West Indians and how they played, this Australian team should never have been in a position where they could have lost this game, yeah. right? They're a much better side, much more experienced. Um, they should have they should have swept them away. So I'm not going to blame Pat Cummins for that, um, especially as I think I would have done maybe something quite similar mm. as well. Um, if I was going to blame anyone, I'd blame all the top order for putting me in a situation where that was even an yeah. option. And I mean, in hindsight, we can talk about all of these things because the margin of defeat is just eight runs. You're like, oh, Cummins is a good six hitter. You're batting at 64. You've never batted at 64 in your career, so might as well have a slog. But at that time, I was quite content with that you know, declaration because I was like, okay, he's probably thinking lightning won't strike twice over here. We'll get them quickly and we'll win this test. But, you know, kudos to the West Indies. They also hung on to their catches. They caught really, really well. That was the main difference between them and Pakistan. If Pakistan had caught their chances, maybe they would have sneaked away with a test win. But the West Indies did and they created history and, you know, so much happened. I think I think the declaration is far less. If I if I was in Australia covering this year, mm. covering this summer, declaration doesn't give a shit. I'd be saying, how come this team who just won a World Test Championship, just um, drew the ashes, is suddenly in a position against two flawed sides at home of repeatedly giving up um, good situations and or just sneaking by against really uh, against flawed teams? That's what I would be questioning. I wouldn't be questioning a single declaration. Yeah. Um, it, I think Australia's lucky they only lost one test out of the five. Fair enough, yeah. That's actually quite fair. And uh, I mean... Travis had bagged a king pair in this test match. So maybe that's the reason they lost it because they Also, you should never yeah. do that. What? Get, you should never get, get a king, king pair. That, if I was an analyst, that would be the first thing I'd write on the board. Right? Yeah, and he's someone who's bailed Australia out on so many occasions. So if he's getting a yeah. king pair, then that's a problem. There were, of course, other performances. Mitch Stark bowled well in the first innings. Gal got that four for... He's actually... Very close to Traminda Vasa's tally in uh, test cricket with respect to left-arm quicks. So, if he goes on to play another two, three seasons, I see him surpassing Wasim Akram as well, which would be really something. And then, test cricketer of the year, Usman Khwaja, he made a solid 75 in the first innings. Alex Carey did really, really well in that first innings, even though the ball had hit his bail. It did a little spinner rooney in its uh, thing. And yeah, he, he survived that. But what followed was great because he was, you know, free-flowing bat and all of that. And a very, very brisk 65, I believe, of 49 balls. But I still believe that all of these performances aside, the biggest takeaway for Australia in this test match, or biggest positive, is the fact that Steve Smith carried his bat. And already, you know, people were out with their pitchforks that, oh, you shouldn't have, you know, promoted yourself up as opener. And I think Mark Waugh also wrote something. There were a lot of, like, articles and, and, and tweets talking about it. Even in that space I was telling you about earlier, people were like, we don't understand why he's doing this. And I was like, hey, I did a podcast on it. Go, go check it out. There's, there's some, you know, rationale why this might work. And that was a really great 91. I mean, it won't be spoken mm. of as much because they didn't win the test match. But do you remember that point where he did that weird scoop thing himself, that ramp scoop? Yeah. And it takes some minerals to attempt that at that stage of the game. And yeah, I mean, he, he looked defiant yet fluid. He's always been a weird customer. You look at Steve Smith bad and you're like, what the hell is he doing? But he makes it work. And he made it work in that second innings. And yeah, I mean, unlucky, I suppose, that he was left stranded on 91. But that's a big, big positive for Australia going forward. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wasn't worried mm. about it. Um, I think if you probably went to the YouTube video that we made, either the one that you and I made or the original one on the main site, 
I'm sure the comments were already coming mm. in, right? And I got an email from someone and about it as well, and you know all these different things. And I was like, guys, he's played two mm. innings. He's played three innings. Like, let's see. I think it's really interesting. He made runs in the fourth yeah. innings because, as we know, doesn't make runs in the yep. fourth innings. Certainly boosted his fourth innings average mm. quite a bit with a nod out. Um, do you know what he currently averages as an opener? Uh, something like sixty, because he probably ended with uh, like what one hundred plus runs and. Actually, no, he got out no, twice. He got out twice. So, yeah, 50 plus, right, for sure. Because he got 91, not out. Yeah, 60. You were oh, right the okay. first time. Um, it's just hilarious that he still ended up there no matter what. Look, I, I watched him. I watched a little clips. I've watched back some of the ball by ball of his um, uh, opening so far. There's nothing that I've seen that suggests he shouldn't be opening the batting. I, I don't think he should be doing it. I, I think I'm, that part, I just I don't understand why he's doing it. But I don't see there's any reason why he's going to fail um, or not make any runs at all as an opener. Um, it, you know, and if you go against convention and you fail the first couple of times, people tell you that you're wrong and you've made a huge mm. mistake. But he, people were telling him that for you know years, and he proved them wrong once. He'll probably work it out again. Um, I think that innings is interesting. You know, Australia. Well. I think if he looks at that innings again, he would probably want to put more pressure back on West mm. Indies at times. Got himself a little bit stuck. Um, but, you know, you carried his bat fourth time. Was it fourth or third time? No, it was mm. fourth, wasn't it? Because he, he got a not out. Carried his bat for the fourth. He's actually only been dismissed twice because he's had two not outs already yep. as an opener. Um, you know. I don't, I don't know what to say about Steve Smith. He's quite good at the mm -hmm. batting. Yeah, and I mean, I would never write him off. Uh, anyone who's watching should also write him off at their own peril. And I, I think he might just make this work because especially if you look at Australia's cycle in this particular World Test Championship, it might favor him. Uh, but anyway, I think that should be it for this Test match. Let's quickly talk about a uh, result uh, in women's cricket. Of course, South Africa have defeated Australia for the very first time. They lost the first T20 international in Canberra, but at the same venue, they defeated the Southern Stars and Captain Laura Volvart and her opening uh, partner, Tasman Britz. They were basically amongst the runs in both those games, scoring a 50 each. And what we have now is a series where the finale is brilliantly set up. This is also a repeat of the T20 World Cup final. So there are subplots over here. And it's just great that South Africa's finally had that moment. And yet again, Australia does not seem to be that same sort of dominant force that it once used to be. I'm trying to think. Let's start with South Africa first. So who did South Africa lose to at home? And we were talking Bangladesh. about recently. Really interesting. I mean, you know, you know, do you know about the well, um, uh, the heavyweight belt or the boxing belt? Um, In the ILT20, um, is it? Oh. No, no, no. So there's a there's a there's a thing in. Uh, I don't know if you've ever come across it, but it comes up on on in cricket sometimes, and you can get it in football and other sports as well. Of some people track um, who the best team is via individual results. It's a joke because in boxing, of course, whoever whoever has won the last thing is the best boxer in yeah. the world, right? Whoever won, the, won the, the belt is the best boxer in the world. And so you can track it all the way through, like, you know, Australia or the West Indies when they were really good. And it's like, oh, but they've lost to mm. this team. So now this team's the number one in the world. And then this uh, team beats okay, them, whatever. Okay. All I'm saying is, it's quite, you know, um, but from that perspective, it's slightly different here. But from that perspective, it's quite interesting that recently Bangladesh beat South Africa mm. and now South Africa beat yeah. Australia. I don't think you can get much better sign for women's cricket than mm. that. Right, that you know, it's getting closer and closer. And I know that South African team. We, I think it was a 
weakened South African team that lost to Bangladesh, but there ain't no South African team losing to Bangladesh a few years yeah. ago, right? Like that's just how much Bangladesh has got better at women's cricket. Um, from South Africa's point of view, again, I think it's absolutely fantastic. A bit of a changing of, I would say a bit of a changing of guard. They've still got some of the, you know, um, Chloe Tyron and, and those sorts yeah. of plays. Um, but they've had uh, some Bunga's retirement. Shubnam's gone. Yeah, they've lost some very good players. They've got some new players coming in. Really interesting that they managed to beat Australia here. Um, but from the Australian point of view, I, I reckon, what's this? England beat them, India beat them, and South Africa have beaten them mm -hmm. of recent times. Yeah. You look at that team on paper, it doesn't look any different to me than the teams that was dominating mm -hmm. before. I don't, uh, I'm not following them close enough to know if they've been experimenting a little bit more, if they're trying other things. Or, I, don't, I don't know. What I would say is this. It's fascinating. And um, I, I want to keep an eye on it. In fact, you know, I they might get me and Estelle might do a red Indies, Oh, the mm -hmm. West Indies. That was the other one. I knew there was one more, yeah. but I couldn't think of who it was. I think, I think it's now getting quite interesting that they keep losing games. And it's not, you know, I think England played really well against mm -hmm. them in the series. I think India, um, you know, lost that um, series in the end, the West Indies. South Africa will probably lose this series as well, although who knows. Yeah. But I think the important thing is that they just, you know, I, and I've said this on this podcast like mm -hmm. five times before, but it's the same thing. They just don't look like the Harlem Globetrotters anymore, yeah. right? They look fallible. Maybe they still look like the best team in the world, but they look fallible. And to, to the point of which, if you played them in a semifinal or a final, you'd think you had a yeah, good chance. You dare to dream. Whereas I, yeah, whereas I think before, if you played them in the semifinal, you'd be like, oh, why are we not in the other mm -hmm. semifinal? At least we make it to the final. Yeah. Oh, there's the hypercost. Uh, uh, comment over there that he, he's mentioned how they've lost one match in each of their last 40 20i series versus yeah we counted them right yeah. england west indies south africa and india and yeah i mean yeah and i don't think it means the end of the world or anything but i don't know maybe teams are planning better for them maybe it's just a form thing maybe it's just random luck t20 cricket is a little bit yeah. like that i think i think if you it just feels like to me it's happening more mm. often right and 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 also I talked to a few, you know, uh, people involved in women's cricket. They're starting to whisper mm. it, right? This isn't just me. They're starting to go, is it as good as the team that it used yeah. to be? And I mean, I the entire we'll women's cricket sphere has gotten far more competitive. So, I mean, exciting times to be living in. One last or, or talking point over here just before we move on to overthrows. Uncovered is just going to be the cricket talk and overthrows is going to be... I thought I thought it was the oh, other was way it? around, Was it the, the other way around? Then we'll, we'll yeah. be messed it up on this edition. <laughs> But uh, anyway. First week, it's yeah, all right. Yeah. We're just, this is just a net. No one's watching. Yeah. This isn't even being broadcast. <laughs> but anyway, uh, one thing I noticed is that, sure, Betts, Mooney and Alyssa Healy, they scored runs up top for Australia, right? Particularly in the first game, Mooney got 72, Alyssa Healy got a quick fire 46. But when I see Phoebe Litchfield at, or slotted in at five, I feel like there's a missed opportunity over there. What like, do you mean? I feel like she could be promoted up the order. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I suppose she's still hmm. like... A, you know, seven years old, right? Mm. Um, you, I mean, you're right going ahead. And it's also like her being in the side kind of means makes me think that the next generation isn't going to be a problem mm. as well. So, um, yeah, I, maybe they could make some tweaks there. Um, it'd be interesting. I, I'd love to – I'm trying to think if I know anyone uh, around 
one of their coaches or even one of the senior players. Um, I'd love to have a chat and see what they think about this and whether it's just like occasionally lose games. It just happens to be that we've lost one to each side and it looks a little well, bit worse or whether they're sitting there going. There is a trend mm. over here that Hypercost who always comes to our rescue. I actually have this segment down because of Hypercost's tweet because he put that out that South Africa beat Australia for the first time and then the other test results. So he says it's mostly an issue when posting totals recently. They've lost four of their last five when batting first compared with winning 20 of their last 21 run chases. So there you have it. Maybe there's an issue over there, Southern Stars. Also, it could just be a toss yeah. thing, right? Like it's better to bat second than it is to bat first. And maybe they'd never had as... Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes it could just be that the toss goes against you a bunch mm. of times in, in key moments or, or anything else. But um, it's, it's certainly worth keeping an eye on mm. because... It just keeps coming yeah. up. And on that note, we shall end uh, this week's Uncovered, which will be next week's Overthrows. And those of you who are on YouTube with us, you can stick around. Just for the audio listeners, that'll be end the end of this podcast. We'll be back with you next week with another one of these uh, podcasts. And yeah, uh, basically, we're just spreading them up in a way where one is current affairs and, you know, non or off the field conversation and one is on the field conversation. So yeah, thanks for watching. And uh yeah, we'll be back shortly for all those guys who are sticking around for overthrows. So, to everyone else, goodbye. And uh, yeah, hit that ad, Jared. Thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us any way you can. Maybe give us a review, subscribe, or share on social media. All of these things help us. And when it comes to podcasts, word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baron Kazi and Estelle Vassadavan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston, and each episode is produced by Ishit Kaburka at Sound Potion Studio. Mukunda Bandredi, or Muku, as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels, and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recording. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. Tired of editing your podcasts and videos because you are as lazy as me? Well, try using Memento FM, an AI-based service that cuts and dices, so all you have to do is hit post. Try Memento FM today.